when a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> there was once a sermon series called Mark. <laughs> and for those of you who've been with Venture for quite some time, we actually started this church in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and we started to walk through the book of Mark together. And then we would take a hiatus and do another series, and we'd come back to Mark, and we'd take a hiatus and do another series, and we'd come back to Mark. We've been outside of Mark for a while now, and we are coming back to Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 31. I'm going to read verses 31 through 37. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis, which means ten cities. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we don't need a human philosophical speech today. We get plenty of those at work. We get plenty of those at school. We get plenty of those in the world, on TV. Uh, we need something from you today. We need something supernatural. We need your hand uh, touching this message, and we need you to go on uh, beyond the ability of the speaker today, and we need your spirit to touch our heart. Father, would you indwell us today with the knowledge that we previously did not have? Would you inspire us with the zeal that maybe we didn't walk in with this morning? We love you. Thank you for loving us first. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. have you ever been to a restaurant with somebody who was indecisive about the menu? They couldn't figure out what to order. Is there anything worse than being with... You've been sitting there for seven minutes. The waitress comes back or the waiter comes back. Do you know what you want? Well, I got some questions. Do you get any sides with this? And I'm sitting there thinking, it says two sides on the top. If you learn how to read, you would know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fine about this. I'm obviously a Christian uh, with Jesus' love within me. But um, I have a long ways to go. <laughs> well, I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know anybody who's indecisive at a restaurant with what they're going to order? Just raise your hand if you've ever been in that situation. Most of you have, a few of you have not. Well, let me tell you, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm going to tell you about this situation. I wouldn't have if you would have raised your hand. Anybody else want to raise their hand now? Didn't raise their hand? Um, no, it, actually, at a restaurant, something interesting happens. Every now and then, and it doesn't happen very often, every now and then, whenever you order and you get your food and you take your first bite, you are actually surprised by how good it is. Have you ever been taken back by how good it, you've actually been surprised? Because the advertisements, the menu, they actually make the, uh, the, the pictures look perfect, right? You, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, those advertisements on TV, those burgers look out of this world. And then you go to Jack in the Box and whoa. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why I picked on Jack in the Box. I like Jack in the Box. Jack's a good guy. But usually it's the other way. The advertisements look great. But then when you get it, you know, all right, I should have known. But every now and then, you go somewhere, and it's actually better than you imagined. Remember the first time you went to the ocean? If you didn't grow up around the ocean. 
if you grew up in Illinois <laughs> and you were 13 years old when you saw the ocean for the first time, whoa, I've seen pictures. I've seen it in the books. We studied it in class. I saw the blue on the globe. <laughs> it didn't look that big on the globe. And then your eyes see it, and it's bigger, grander, better than you could ever possibly imagine. Now, here, here's my belief. We have the Bible, and we're thankful for the Bible. Amen? We're thankful for what we have. We're thankful for the pictures of Jesus. Boy, he looks loving. He looks compassionate. He looks good. But I believe whenever we experience Jesus face-to-face, -face, whenever we actually see him, he is better than we could ever imagine. And we step back and we go, whoa, he's bigger, he's better, he's more powerful. I think that's going to happen when we get to heaven. I, we tried to imagine heaven. We tried to put a picture in our heads, right? We, we tried to do it. But when we get there, can you imagine? We're going to say he's better. He's more beautiful. He's more loving than I ever thought. And I think that's what happens in our passage today in Mark chapter 7. If it's true that our theology shapes our biography, the way we think about God shapes the way we live our life, then we need to grasp one verse, one line, the main point of this story today. We need to become convicted of that Jesus does all things well. He does all things well. This last week, eight days ago, two Saturdays ago, probably the number one draft pick in the NFL draft. His name is Tua. He's the quarterback for the University of Alabama. He was the quarterback for them. He suffered an injury that took him out for the year, may have taken away his college career, may have taken away his first-round draft pick, probably lost millions of dollars in his injury of breaking his hip, a very unique injury threatening this season. This season's done for Tua. Um, he's probably not going to come back to Alabama. He's going to try to enter the NFL draft. He's probably going to, estimations is he's probably lost around $35 million because of this one injury. His parents, I want to show you a picture of his parents who apparently are God-fearing Christians. This is what they said, and then they sent this to the Alabama fan base. We would like to thank all the Alabama family and everyone across the world for the prayers and outpouring of love and support for our son and our family. Now, here it is. We felt the unceasing prayer. How do they know about unceasing prayer? Well, they got that from a life lived in unceasing prayer. And words can't express how overwhelming and uplifting that has been for us. Now, here it is. We have total faith in God's plan for Tua, and we know his plan is never wrong. God's grace, mercy, love, and faithfulness in our lives has never been more evident despite this setback. We know that God's plan is never wrong. Now, that's a family that understands that he does all things well. I watch that on ESPN. I never get that stuff from ESPN, and I, I couldn't believe it. And they played it. They put it on ESPN. He, he is never wrong. He does all things well. We're going to go verse by verse through uh, this story, but then we're going to end on three ways that Jesus does all things well. Verse 31 then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of, of the Decapolis. That's about a 120 to 150-mile trip. Jesus had gotten tired of the hustle and bustle. Everywhere Jesus went with his disciples, it was crazy. It was chaos. He needed some time with those 12 guys to pour into them, to train them, to disciple them, because it was these 12, eventually 11, once Judas went off the deep end, it was these 11 that were going to impact the world for Jesus Christ. He needed some time. He needed to pour into them. So he takes off for the first time and only time in Jesus' life does he leave it 
uh, Israel. He takes off to Gentile territory, does a 150-mile road trip, and he comes back to the region of the Decapolis, verse 32. They brought to him a man who was, what was he? Deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on him. Now, by the way, when you're deaf, that usually is accompanied by a speech impediment because you can't hear, you don't know how you sound, you don't pick up on language very well. Those are two common uh, difficulties to have. When you're deaf, you have a speech impediment, that's pretty common. But I, I want you to notice something important here. This crowd is running to Jesus. Two chapters earlier in chapter five, they kicked Jesus out of the area. Do you remember he took the demons out of the demon-possessed man, sent them into the pigs, the pigs ran into the lake? And after that, they, they made Jesus leave. They made him get on a boat and get out of here. And two chapters later, they're welcoming him into their area, probably in a three or four-month span. Here's what I'm grateful for. Jesus didn't give up on this area. Jesus didn't give up on these people. He came back. How many of you are grateful that we don't serve a God of one chance? We serve a God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance, and Jesus keeps coming back. And how many times in our life have we kicked Jesus to the curb? How many times in our life have we ignored the power of Jesus? How many times in our life have we basically just turned our back to Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, yeah, but I'm going to come back? You're looking at a man today who's grateful that Jesus came back. And he keeps coming back after all my mistakes, after all my ways of failing him. He says, I'll be back. And he doesn't say it like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> that, was, but that just came back to mind. Yeah, I'll be back. He probably said it better than Arnold Schwarzenegger. But <clears throat> can't even say his name. But I'm grateful that Jesus came back around. Name me another God who does that. You want to name me another faith, another religion, another God who keeps coming back for you? When you push him to the side, he loves you so much, he will not let you go. Peter got a second chance. Jonah got a second chance after running from God. King David, after murder and adultery, got a second chance. Samson got a second chance. John Mark, who abandoned the missionary journey, who was writing this, and this is the only gospel that has this story, probably because of this. Mark says, yeah, you got a second chance. I'm glad he gives a second chance. Verse 33, and taking him aside, from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. This is interesting. Jesus takes this man and he sits down with him privately. Jesus is still more about the person than he is the crowd. He's still more about the individual than he is the, all the chaos. And he takes him aside privately and he uses sign language. Now, they didn't have universal sign language where you do the, they didn't have that then but he spoke to him in the only way he could understand. He took his fingers and he touched his ears because this man would have only understood by motions. He says, I know you're deaf. I know you can't talk. And he speaks to him in his language. I'm grateful Jesus does that. He speaks to us with where we are. And then in verse 37, his third, his third version of, of uh, sign language, and looking up to where what's about to happen to you is coming from heaven, sir. This isn't coming from man. This isn't a, magi uh, uh, a magic trick, carbonero effect. This isn't any of that. He <laughs> We're on to that show right now. We're kind of addicted. Um, he looks up to heaven, and he sighed. 
you know, when you get the phone call and the person says, I have cancer, and you, or you heard about the car accident, and it's a sigh of compassion. The word actually means groaning. It's painful. And Jesus is saying, Right here, he says, this wasn't my plan. When I created this world, there wasn't supposed to be pain. There wasn't supposed to be deafness. There wasn't supposed to be muteness. There wasn't supposed to be uh, people who are paralyzed. There wasn't supposed to be all this hurt. This wasn't my plan before. And by the way, I'm gonna make all this better. Someday this will never happen again. And Jesus looks up to heaven after touching his ears, touching his tongue, and he looks up to heaven and he sighs because he loves him. Verse 35 through 37, and his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them all to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done, next three words, church, all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Their reaction was not, we surrender. Their reaction was not, we believe. Their reaction was not, we're devoted. Their reaction was, wow, he does all things well. And it says in verse 36, they are astonished beyond measure. The uh, the message paraphrase says, they were blown away by how good Jesus is. I want to teach you about that one phrase. They walked away saying all things well. We're going to walk away with that today. There are some bizarre beliefs on miracles today. Did you know that? Have you noticed that? There are some bizarre beliefs on miracles. So I want to talk about that for just a second. Here's a warning. It is a sin to credit Satan with the Holy Spirit's work. It is also a sin to credit the Holy Spirit with Satan's work. And that's happening right now. And it is turning off the watching world to Christianity. I want to teach you something about miracles. One of the indicating proofs that a miracle happens and and that we know it's from God is this. Catch this. Take this home with you. Whenever the miracle happens, you know it's from God when it is complete and perfect. That means this. When somebody's blind and they come and say, God healed me, I'm no longer blind, here's what will not happen. That person will not have 20-40 vision. If God healed them, they will have perfect vision. They're not going to need to go to the optometrist and get contacts. (laughs) God healed me, and now I'm wearing glasses. (laughs) That's not how God heals. And nobody walks into church in a wheelchair, and we come forward, and we, whatever happens, and and a miracle happens, and he stands up, and he walks out with a limp. And we say, praise God, God did a miracle. That's not biblical. That's not God. Let me say it one more time. It is a sin to credit the Holy Spirit with Satan's work, and it is turning off the watching world. Now, why is it? Man, I was a kid. I'm watching television one morning. I still remember this. A guy comes in. It's one of those uh, tele, uh, uh, you know. Nobody likes likes him. Thank you, Marcella. We're in the clear now. (laughs) And we love you all, and to all a good night. Okay. And he <laughs> comes in with the wheelchair, and they did the hand thing, and he stood up, and everyone said, praise God, and he limped out of the church. I was like seven years old, and I could, something's wrong with that. 
Because when God heals, he does it completely and he does it perfectly. I didn't know the theology then, but I, even as a seven-year-old, I knew, huh? <laughs> what? Why do you need contacts after God heals your sight? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. If it's not done perfectly, if it's not done completely, it is not God. And you say, oh, good grief, Nathan, you're getting off into the weeds right now. Why does this matter? Let me tell you why this matters. It matters a whole lot because when it comes to the greatest miracle of all time, and that is the salvation of our souls and the forgiveness of sins, we can't afford for God to do it halfway. God can, we cannot afford for God to save us 90% of the way. We cannot afford for God to forgive 99% of our sins. If he forgave 99% of our sins, this guy's in trouble because 1% still encompasses a lot of sins here. <laughs> I need him to completely wash away all my sins completely and perfectly. How many of you are with me? Amen. And that God is performing physical miracles, pointing us to how he's going to perform the greatest miracle, which is the spiritual miracle, which is transforming the human soul from darkness into light from unrighteousness into righteousness, from disfellowship into fellowship. There is no imperfect salvation. That's why this doctrine matters. He does all things well. When Jesus died on the cross, he stretched out his hands and he says, it is finished. It is a modern vernacular for paid in full. In other words, all sins paid for, past, present, future sins paid for, not 98% of them. All the sins are paid for completely and perfectly. That's why it's called the perfect sacrifice for our sins. If he can't perform a physical miracle perfectly, then he can't save us perfectly. All miracles from God are complete and perfect. He's not just okay at doing this. There's a, there's a video or, or, or there's a commercial going around uh, right now, and they're big. It's at and I'll just tell you. They paid me to say that. Um, <laughs> like one cent. And their big motto right now is, just okay is not okay. And I laugh at this commercial every time I got to show it to you. Here it is, right here. Have you ever worked with Dr. Francis? Oh, yeah. He's okay. Just okay? <laughs> Guess who just got reinstated? <laughs> well, not officially. Nervous? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. I'll see you in there. Just okay is not okay. Okay. All right. See? <laughs> We don't need that when we get to heaven. Ah, he did okay. We need him to heal us completely and perfectly. Let me tell you, and, I'll, and, and this is the rest of the sermon, three things that he does well. Whenever they were referring to all things well, Jesus did creation well. Genesis chapter 1, just follow along with me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word for God is plural. It means three. It means it wasn't just God who created the heavens and the earth. It was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 3, it says, let there be light. God saw that there was light and that it was good. Verse 9, God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters. He called seas and God saw that it was good. Verse 12, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit and seed in it according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. Verse 18, when God created the sun, the moon, the stars to govern the day and the night to separate light from darkness, God saw that it was 
good. Verse 21, when God created the creatures in the sea and every living thing with the water teams, God saw that it was good. Verse 25, God made all the animals on the land. God saw that it was good. Verse 26, God said, let us make mankind in our image. God made a man and thought, eh, I could do better. And so he made a woman. And there, (laughs) no, 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 just kidding. (laughs) I was also paid to say that. Thank you. All right. After God made man and woman, God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. The only time he ever said very good was after he made mankind in his image. Even after our planet in its fallen, cursed state, you have to admit this planet is beautiful. He did all things well. Take a little road trip to New England during September or October. Pack up your car and start in the Northeast. Have you ever seen the colors on the trees? Have you ever seen the foliage in the middle of September, October? You can take a visual extravaganza of different colored leaves in England, or then you could travel south, and before you know it, you run across the seaside escapes and constant waves of the outer banks on the east side of North Carolina. While you're there, even the wild horses make you feel like you're separated from the rest of the world. Travel west, and eventually you come across the great state of Kansas. Can all God's people say amen? And you run across the Flint Hills of Kansas, known as the most beautiful sunset on planet Earth. Look at any list of greatest sunsets in the world. The Flint Hills of Kansas will always be there. I used to get up early in the morning, do hospital visits in Wichita, Kansas, 150 miles away, had to drive across the Flint Hills early in the morning. The sun would rise by halfway there, and I would turn off my radio. It just blew me away looking at that sunrise. And then you travel north to the, great, uh, to the glacier lakes in Canada, go straight north, and you run into the most beautiful lakes your eyes can see with the clearest blue water such as Lake Louise in this picture right here, or go southwest and you'll find yourself standing next to the oldest trees in the world, the giant redwoods of California, where you realize God was just having fun and creating an environment where Star Wars could be filmed for Return of the Jedi. And then you say, well, I want to be an international traveler. And so you head south uh, in the Pacific Ocean, and you might run into Bora Bora, a place called Heaven on Earth, With turquoise waters, it's almost like having a swimming pool in the middle of the largest ocean in the world. And then you go farther west, and you find yourself in which most publications call the most beautiful place on planet Earth, Milford Sound, New Zealand. And you're not too far away from the Great Barrier Reef. If you're not afraid of going underwater, you are in the biggest reef in the world, which hosts 2,900 different reefs and can be seen from outer space. More than 1,500 species of fish live on the Great Barrier Reef. And if you want, go farther west, known as the greatest road trip on the planet, the Great Ocean Road. They say nothing will prepare you for the beauty and the vastness of views that simply take your breath away. Eventually travel north to Japan, where the cherry blossom season will also take your breath away. And if you have time, jump on a plane and eventually head west to the Italian Amalfi Coast. It was once said, if bliss could be a color, it would be Amalfi blue. And if you get homesick, come back to Texas, where the blue bonnet fields and the Texas skies to the great country, excuse me, state (laughs) of Texas. Sometimes we need to turn off our screens, walk outside, and just admit Jesus does all things well. He does salvation well. 
He not only does creation well, he does salvation well. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The physical miracles was pointing to the greater miracle, which is the spiritual miracle. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Let me show you a picture of salvation. When we look at salvation, we usually look at one glimpse of it, one angle, but salvation is more like a diamond. A diamond has thousands of different views, thousands of different angles, and we usually just look at, good, our sins are forgiven, justification, and that's, that's the first word I wrote up there, justification. That is a legal term that says, you are in the clear, you are clear to go, you will not be punished. And we say, praise God, and we sing about that, but that's only one angle. And then it goes on to redemption, another angle of the diamond, another angle of salvation. Redemption is you don't have to live in sin for the rest of your life. He, that, is a, uh, that is a slavery term, that you have been bought out of your slavery from sin. You are now free to live righteously. You are not a slave anymore. That which he once owned, he has now bought back. He has redeemed you through the blood of Christ. And then there's reconciliation. Not only did he forgive you, not only did he set you free, but now you can have a relationship with the heavenly father. You are reconciled to the creator. And then you have adoption, which is on the top, the top angle. It's not just a relationship. It is a child relationship. He has made you a son of God or a daughter of the king. You are now a part of his family. And then there's the angle of sanctification. He didn't just wipe your sins away and say, good luck, but he sent you a helper in the Holy Spirit to help you grow and to become more like Jesus Christ. That's the process of sanctification. Then there's imputation. Do you know what imputation is? It is an even greater theology of salvation where he didn't just take your sins on the cross. He gave you his righteousness. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. When you stand before God in heaven, you will be credited with all the works that Jesus did. You will be credited with his life. You have taken on his righteousness. That's imputation. And then there's glorification. That is the final you. When you die, when you leave this earth, when you stand in heaven, there will be no more sin. There will now be a perfect body. Can't wait. There will be no more diets. There will be no more that. There will be no more selfish motives. There will be no more bad attitudes. There will be no more sin in my mind. I will be glorified in the image of Jesus Christ. All of those and more are part of the angles of salvation. He has done all things well. Creation and salvation. Our ancestors, our Christian ancestors used to sing this hymn a long time ago. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy who through life has been my guide? Heavenly place, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. As we close this morning, I want to point out with you, as our musician comes to play, one more thing that Jesus does well. He does creation well, he does salvation well, and he's going to do eternity well. If you think he's done creation well, he says, let not your heart be troubled, for I go to prepare a place for you. You think this is nice? You think Bora Bora is nice? wait till we see it there that took six days he's been working on heaven since the resurrection 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Just a sneak peek of heaven before we close, found in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city. There's going to be a holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We're the new Jerusalem. We're the bride. Coming down out of heaven from God, I heard a loud voice and from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. That also means there'll be no more things that cause the death or cause the mourning or cause the crying. No more bad reports, no more bad doctor reports, no more car accidents, no more drunk driving situations, no more abuse, no more manipulation, no more heartache, no more relational rifts. All those things that cause the pain, all of those things will be gone. The old order of things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and the 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The 12 gates were 12 pearls, each made with a single pearl. The great street of the city was gold, as pure as transparent glass. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever shut which means there's no HOAs in heaven. For there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. How many of you are grateful that Jesus does all things well? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. Sometimes we just need to sit back and see how good you are and see that you didn't come. I mean, we read the stories, we see the pictures, we color the coloring pages when we're kids, but when we see it, when these people saw it at the Decapolis, they saw, wow, he healed the deaf man perfectly. He didn't need speech lessons after this miracle. Jesus did it perfectly. They'd seen magicians and then they saw Jesus and it was different. 
Father, just keep our mind on that this week as we are thankful as we go to meet family and friends for Thanksgiving. Keep our minds on the fact you are the one who does all things well. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.